0: Thank you so much for the invitation to come. And I'm going to read from James. Uh, When uh, Simon asked me to speak of a character in the Bible, I don't know what other characters you've been having, Simon. I think I'm the last in the series, aren't I? Yes, we've had Esther and Boaz. Esther, Boaz. And Waymaker. That's Jesus, by the way. Right. (laughs) Well, I guess probably most people would... I mean, my first reaction was, well, someone like David or, you know, an Old Testament prophet, something like that. But we happen to have been studying in James uh, and we're doing a little gospel series, uh, preaching series in Helsham and James. So I thought I would talk about uh, um, James. So I'm going to read a few verses from James chapter 1. Um, Which is right towards the end of the New Testament. It's after quite a long book, Hebrews, and then you come to James. So I'm just going to read the first 12 verses. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the 12 tribes scattered among the nations greetings. Consider it pure joy, my brothers whenever you face trials of many kinds because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete not lacking anything if any of you lacks wisdom he should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault and it will be given to him But when he asks, he must believe and not doubt, because he who doubts is like a wave of the sea, blown and tossed by the wind. That man should not think that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all he does. The brother in humble circumstances ought to take pride in his high position, but the one who is rich should take pride in his low position because he will pass away like a wild flower. For the sun rises with scorching heat and withers the plant. Its blossoms fall and its beauty is destroyed. In the same way, the rich man will fade away even while he goes about his business. Blessed is the man who perseveres under trial, because when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. Well, the thing about most character studies, isn't it, that most of the characters that you think about in the Bible are flawed in some way. I think the only two that I can think of that don't mention any of the character flaws are Samuel and Daniel. I, I, you can correct me if I'm wrong, but most of the Characters in the Bible have got real flaws, haven't they? Um, the uh, the people that wrote most of the Bible were murderers. King David murdered his uh, girlfriend's husband so that he could uh, marry her. Moses murdered one of the uh, Egyptian uh, soldiers uh, before he fled into. Egypt. And the Apostle Paul definitely was a murderer. He stood there while Stephen was stoned. So they're all very flawed characters. And you think, well, why on earth would God allow such people to write most of the Bible? Uh, How can people with flaws like that be even considered? And, And it's God's grace, isn't it? God is so gracious He is able to forgive our sins and it's only by the grace of God that these people are there. So of course then instead of talking about the character we then start talking about God and his grace because these characters always point us to uh, the Lord Jesus. And we can learn a little bit about James from reading his book but mostly James wants to point us to the Lord Jesus. Uh, And um, I'm sure he would not particularly want me to go on and on about him. He'd want me to go on about the Lord Jesus. So who was he? Um, James describes himself as a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus, James. And he's writing to people that are scattered right round Europe. Loads of them in Asia, where, Turkey now, and Greece. He would have been writing to people who used to be in the Jerusalem church but were scattered by persecution. And he calls himself just James. He doesn't say anything else about himself. So who is he? Uh, well, he must be very f- well-known to the churches just to say James, mustn't he? Uh, he can't be an obscure person. <laughs> And the way he writes his letter is very um, commanding. Uh, The commentators say that James was probably a great preacher. He's a great teacher, but he was also probably a great preacher. And maybe this letter of James is just written from his sermon notes. It's possible. Well, I don't know who you think of when you think of James. Maybe the first person that comes into your mind is... Uh, James and John uh, the disciples of the Lord Jesus they would have been uh, James that James would have been certainly well known enough just to write his name as James wouldn't he but uh, actually James was put to death by the sword by King Herod very early in the life of the church so most people believe that this wasn't the James that wrote this letter So who was it? Well, in the early times of the church, in the book of Acts, we find that when they were all gathered for prayer, after Jesus had uh, died and risen again, they were all in that upper room in Acts. And uh, it says that the brethren of Jesus were there together praying. And in fact... Jesus had some half-brothers. We call them half-brothers because, um, of course, Joseph wasn't Jesus' real father. Jesus was conceived by the Holy Spirit. But later, uh, Mary and Joseph had other brothers. And in Mark's Gospel, we find out their names. There was James, Joseph, Simon and Judas. And there were sisters as well. So Jesus would have been their older brother. Imagine growing up in a house where Jesus, the Son of God, was. But when Jesus started his ministry, James didn't believe what Jesus was preaching. In fact, it says makes clear in the Bible that the family didn't believe in Jesus. His brothers didn't believe in Jesus. And um, James was one of the ringleaders because it looks as if he was the oldest of those half-brothers. And Mary and and the brothers came down to Jesus to take control of him because they thought he'd gone mad. James must have been a tough cookie to come and try to take Jesus under control, mustn't he? He must have been pretty convinced that Jesus had gone out of his mind. Maybe he was protecting the family's honour. I don't know. But the Gospels make it clear that James and the family didn't believe in him. So what changed? I want to talk about James, first of all, as he describes himself here. A slave of Jesus. What changed? What made it that uh, the brother of Jesus was praying in that uh, early chapter of Acts? Well, we get a clue when uh, Paul writes his letter to the Corinthians. And he mentions loads of people that Jesus appeared to after his resurrection. Uh, He appeared to uh, Peter, he says. (coughs) He appeared to all the apostles. At one time, he appeared to 500 people at the same time. And Paul mentions that he appeared to James. And it's a different um, James to the apostles that he lists separate, separately. So Jesus appeared to his half-brother James after he was risen from the dead. Now, I want you to put yourself in James's boots if you can do can you imagine it what the impact this would have been on James Jesus is his older brother and we're not told the details about how Jesus appeared to him Um, we know the details about some of the other occasions when Jesus appeared to uh, the disciples for example and he he fish and bread uh, with them just to prove that he wasn't a ghost but we haven't got any details about what he said to James but James was a cool cookie and he was a black and white character and he, he had an older brother called Jesus and they would have had opportunity to embrace, wouldn't they? And they would have had an opportunity to chat about the things they did when when James was much younger. And there was enough... In that occasion, there was plenty of time for James to become absolutely convinced that this was Jesus. Maybe they talked about times they went fishing together. I don't know. But James would have been sure that this was Jesus. Seeing Jesus in the flesh convinced James that Jesus wasn't a ghost. He really was his half-brother. But G- James must have realised too that Jesus was far more than a half-brother. It says in Romans that about Jesus that as to his human nature, Jesus was a descendant of David, just a man, but who through the spirit of holiness was declared with power to be the son of God by his resurrection from the dead. Jesus' resurrection changes everything. Not only was he human, but he was also from God, divine. And James would have realised I mean, he could have gone to his mum, couldn't he, and said, Mum, when Jesus was born, what was special about it? And we get the impression from the Gospels that Mary was quite quiet about the birth of Jesus. It may have been a cause of great shame and disgrace on the family that Jesus was born out of wedlock. But if James had asked, she would have said to him, Well, that angel appeared to me and told me... That's I was going. I was going to be the mother of the the son of God. So James could have been convinced too by his mum, couldn't he? But isn't this verse, verse one, a remarkable testimony to the divinity of Jesus? James writing about his half brother. He doesn't call him a brother. One of the amazing things is, I mean, if you were the brother of Jesus, you might have dropped it in the conversation, mightn't you? You might have said to me, well, by the way, James, Jesus is my brother. Uh, but no, he just says, James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. And you notice the way he brings God and the Lord Jesus Christ together. He's a servant of both. He worships God and he worships the lord jesus christ he come to realize that jesus was the sent one from god god's messiah god's king the one that uh, through whom god is going to bless the whole world and personally james must have realized that jesus came to die for him james was a sinner Like all the other characters of the Bible, and James needed his sins to be forgiven. Uh, He needed to be saved from the wrath of God, which is where we all are, isn't it? We're all sinners. And James realised that this person, who was his brother, was actually his saviour. Well, that's a challenge to us, isn't it? How do we think about the Lord Jesus? You can't get closer to Jesus than James, his half-brother, can you? He grew up with him in the family. And James is telling us that Jesus is totally human, but he's totally divine. He's someone to be worshipped. And the Lord Jesus, for you and for me, is someone who is totally human. Uh, He knows what it is to live in this world. He knows what it is to be human. And he knows what it is to be you. God knows you through and through. The scriptures tell us that he knows every hair of our head which must be pretty clever because a lot of mine is falling out. (laughs) And it changes every day, but God keeps tabs of it. He knows. He knows everything about you. And he's divine. He's now in heaven at the right hand of God. And he went to the cross to be a substitute for your sins, so that you needn't be punished for your sins, that you could have eternal life. And James is so convinced of this. The way he writes his letter should be a testimony to us that everything about Jesus is true. So James then is a servant of God a servant of the Lord Jesus. And then the second heading I got about James was James the pastor to the scattered church. And in that first verse, it says, uh, James is writing to the 12 tribes scattered among the nations. It's James that wrote this letter. He's about the only other James in the Bible that would have been so well known just to have written this, uh, just to have called himself James uh, in this letter. And he's writing to the scattered church. It turns out that James was a remarkably gifted man. And he very quickly became the leader of the church in Jerusalem. Do you remember the story when Peter was released from prison? all the church had been praying for him herod was going to put him to death just as he was going to put um, as he put james to death and the angel came and released peter from prison the gates of the prison were swung open as james approached them and james suddenly woke up and thought oh this isn't a dream i'm actually free so he went to john mark's house and uh, they were so surprised. They were praying for him desperately. But they didn't believe that it was him outside the door. They thought it was his ghost. Uh, and uh, Paul convinced them, uh, Peter convinced them that it was really him. And then he said, tell James. Go and tell James. So James was already starting to be a leader in the church. Paul called him a pillar of the church when Paul went around Europe and the Gentiles collected lots of money to give to the Jews in Jerusalem that were very poor, Paul brought all that money to Jerusalem and presented it to James. And James was there when the Jews and the Gentiles were in danger of splitting into two separate churches. Uh, the legalistic Jews in Jerusalem wanted the Gentiles to be circumcised. And James was so wise and tactful, uh, he was the man who really held the church together um, at that time because he wrote that lovely letter which, to the Gentiles which said that they needn't be circumcised but they just needed to act in a way which would be respectful of their brother Jews. So James was a man of great tact and wisdom. And he writes to the 12 tribes scattered among the nations. And as he writes in this letter, you'd have to read it for yourself, but he's often coming out with phrases like, my dear brothers, Uh, he clearly loves the people that have been scattered around the, uh, the then-known world. <coughs> and uh, this, uh, this expression, scattered among the nations, is a really um, telling little description <coughs> of the church. Because it describes us, doesn't it? Scattered among the nations. Uh, the church has been scattered right round... The world, and it, it would have reminded them, of course, about the uh, the dispersion that happened in the in the Old Testament when the Babylonians came and uh, took them all off to Babylon from um, Jerusalem. But this little phrase would have reminded them that they belonged to God. They might be poor and ill-treated wherever they were scattered. Their fellow Jews who weren't believers in Jesus certainly persecuted them. And the Romans would have uh, looked unkindly upon the Christians because they worshipped the God of heaven rather than Caesar. So they had a tough time, these people that were scattered around the nations. But Paul is, uh, but, Peter, but uh, James is telling them that they belong to God And they are God's people. And that's what James is telling us, isn't it? We belong to God. We're scattered among the nations, but we belong to God. And that exile of being scattered is one day soon going to come to an end. The Lord Jesus is coming again and he's going to gather all his people together to himself. And this idea of scattering has the idea of scattering seeds. And it would have reminded the uh, Christians that have been scattered that they're there to scatter God's word. That's how the gospel grew. Uh, the people were scattered away from Jerusalem and many other people came to faith as a result of their testimony. So that's what we're here for in bolney isn't it? We're here scattered to scatter God's word and to scatter the seed of God. So James, he's a servant of God. James, he's a pastor to the scattered tribes, to the scattered church. And thirdly, and perhaps most challengingly, James is a man of joy. One of the reasons I've in the past, not being particularly fond of the book of James, it's so challenging. James is so black and white, and he holds a mirror up to our lives, and we don't like what we see. And this, when he starts his letter, this verse 2, what well, did you find it challenging when you read it? He says, consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials. What sort of man writes to people and says you're going to be really happy that you're going through a tough time? Well James was such a black and white character he was so um, true as a die that I think James would have lived this he would have been full of joy. I think joy uh, throbbed Through his veins. Well, after all, he'd seen the Lord. He knew his half brother was in glory, and he was convinced that there was something far better than this life as a result. And he knew that Jesus went to the cross because of the joy that was set before him. And he writes to us. To have pure joy, whatever our circumstances, because there's hope behind it. The verse says, doesn't it, because there's a reason for saying you can have joy. Because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. Perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete. The Lord wants us to be complete, finished Christians, uh, men and women who uh, are able to withstand the storms of life and as a result be a blessing to others. And the Lord Jesus is intent on doing that in your life, believe it or not. And the way that he chooses to do it is to send us difficulties, trials. And James says, you should be really thankful. He loves you so much that he wants to make you perfect. And James finishes this letter, um, well, this section I was read in verse 12 by saying, blessed is the man who perseveres under trial because when he has stood the test he will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. God has promised us a crown of life. It's a crown that we receive now because we have joy in our lives and we have the crown of life now but the mind doesn't conceive what wonderful Joy is ahead of us. What sort of a life we have ahead of us is beyond our imagination. And God is intent on doing that for you and for me, for doing that for each one of us. So, James gives us a challenge Is Jesus Christ my Lord? What evidence is there to prove it? Am I scattering God's word, the seed? Am I part of the scattering of the church? And do I find joy in my circumstances? Maybe that's the hardest challenge. But whatever your circumstances... God wants to bless you in them. God is seeking to bring you the crown of life.